You're listening to episode 21 of the Divine Nobody's Podcast. Good evening it is, Jen. This is uh, episode 21. There's some 21-year-old out there right now that's going to be listening to this episode and be like, oh, wow, I'm 21. Yeah. This must be a really synchronistic, very special episode for that person. You know who's not 21 today? Uh, I don't know. You. Who could it possibly be? <laughs> oh, yes. This is my 21st adventure around the sun. Actually, it isn't. It's I'm, not. I'm the big 3-6. And somebody asked me today, what is it like being 36? And I was like, it feels like 30, but plus six years. Yeah. And uh, I think I mentioned this before about what Gary Vaynerchuk, who's, you know, he's been an inspiration to me in terms of like entrepreneurship and things like that. He said mm-hmm. that 30 is a new 20, 40 is a new 30. And I really feel that just based off of kind of where our collective sort of like zeitgeist is in our culture. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So I feel like that's where we're at. So thank you everybody for joining us. I'm Eric Ajna. I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Jennifer Lynn. Yes, yes. Hello. Once again, for you guys are watching this or actually listening to us on um, Apple podcast, you want to get in on the video aspect because we actually do this live and uh, record it on video. You can hop over to YouTube like and subscribe and see the entire episode in its entirety if you're more of a visual learner. Yeah. Right? Hey. But if you want to continue using the platform and Apple Podcasts, you definitely can. You could also catch your podcast on Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Music, and uh, a few other places. iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're all there. We're all over. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. Once again, it is my birthday. It is your birthday. And what a very special day it is. And uh, something always really interesting happens around my birthday, but something very enlightening. I always learn something about myself over that time, more so during that time than anything that I experienced before in the previous year. And I think that's just sort of like the universe's way of um, having me feel through certain emotions in order Mm -hmm. to prepare for the following year. Right. Does that happen to you? Yes, every year. Yeah, it's almost like this uh, collective dark night of the soul, but for birthdays, it's like the universe is like, you got to sort through this out. You got to sort this out right now Mm -hmm. because once you enter into 36, it's going to be an entirely different field. Yeah. You know, and it just happens to be Mercury retrograde. So quite the days to come. Yeah, this is the first or second day of retrograde. Yeah, just started. Just started. Yeah, just started. So um, it's been great. I had a really, really amazing, um, actually 35th year. I learned a lot about myself during that time. Yeah. And especially, you know, uh, with 2020 and all of the, you know, different things that are going on. It's been a really, really, really imperative time for self-reflection and uh, going inwards and really just um, doing a lot of self-work and Mm -hmm. a lot of introspection. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, it's interesting because the people that come into your life and the people that stay and sometimes even the people that don't. Yeah. You know. That's for sure. Birthdays are a time of reflection. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, some things you want to reflect on, some things you don't. Yeah. But the things that you don't want to reflect on are the ones that you really need to work out, right? Yeah. Because if if you were truly over it, it wouldn't bother you. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's that's been uh, one of, I think, my mantras for at least 35 is just sitting with a lot of um, just aspects of myself that need to be healed 
mm-hmm. and aspects of myself that need to be let go and aspects of myself that just I need to accept, mm-hmm. you know, and I guess that we call that maturity and growing. Oh, yeah, maturity. You know, because there's yeah. like this little, this thing called being an adult that people are talking about. Yeah, and, well, I, uh, I hear it's a thing. <laughs> I've been hearing all about it since I was a kid. Um, waiting for that, you know, one moment where that comes and you can kind of just sit on top of the mountain and think to yourself, okay, well, I've actually made it. Yeah. But I don't feel like I'm there yet. You know, and you may never feel that way. I was actually yeah. talking to my dad about this and he was like, yeah, you know, in my mind, I feel still feel like I'm the same 18 year old kid. Like I yeah. have the same thought process, the same everything. And he was like, but then I go into the bathroom and I look in the mirror and I'm like, whoa, who's that old guy? Mm. Like your body is aging, but your mind, you still feel like the same person. Yeah, it's true. And I was actually having this conversation with somebody just over the weekend about, it's interesting how the mind um, recollects different things, especially like memories, right? Mm -hmm. You can, especially in my youth, I guess the the biggest example I can give is when we would listen to music. Everybody Mm -hmm. has songs and different, um, albums that they remember from their youth because during that time when you're a kid you don't have anything else to do other than to just sit and listen to music and pretend you're the drummer yeah something like that so i remember full-blown albums and songs that really uh were important to me growing up but Mm -hmm. somehow through the process of growing up and you're going through the years of development and learning you're learning so many different things and ultimately at some point those songs become a thing of the past. So there are songs that you haven't heard for five, 10 years, but they're in there somewhere. But the conversation that I have with my friend, which is if I were to think uh, to myself about what a certain song sounds like, I can't hear it in my mind, let alone remember the words. But the second it comes on the radio, all of a sudden your mind accesses that database that has that information stored and you can remember the whole song, even the words. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just so crazy. That is crazy. It's almost like the, the the brain has this way of, you know, moving certain things out of the way so that you could, you know, open yourself to, to new experiences. Mm-hmm. And so you can remember the things that maybe perhaps matter a little bit more mm-hmm. until there's some sort of catalyst or some sort of uh, thing that comes up in your consciousness. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'll let you have this. Yeah. And what went from not remembering something goes into a full blown, like, I remember all of the words to that song and I don't even know how that happened. Yeah. Does that happen to you? It happens to me all the time. And I was actually just having a very similar conversation with my friend Shana the other day about what constitutes this classic rock. You know, like in the nineties, whenever you're in the car and your dad's like got the classic rock station on dropping you off at school. And you know, that was only, that was a short time before that, right? And now, here we are in 2020 and the music that we're, we were listening to in the nineties, technically by year standard would be considered classic rock. Yeah. Like Nirvana would be classic rock, right? That's true. Which is weird. Yeah. It's weird to think that. It is weird to think that. And I think we had that, uh, we did just got discussed that very briefly in one of our previous episodes, which is if we're going to evolve with the times, then there has to be sort of like a push of what we would have considered like nineties alternative music mm-hmm. into now classic rock. Right. Right. But I, I think that the beautiful thing about the time that me and you existed in is that there was movements and there were um, really, uh, really rememberable moments and experiences of those times that make it not even just about the classic rock or the alternative. Like that was an era of time that represented a certain period of work, 
you of know, growth. humanity was yeah. and consciousness. Oh, 100%. You know, I think of like the alternative era and now. This is actually interesting because when I listen to old alternative rock music, like uh, Soundgarden or Nirvana, things like that, I, where I'm at now in my consciousness and I hear the music, I really appreciate it still, but it's so depressing. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but when you're a kid, you're like, this is the best because you're going through these motions of depression and angst and things like that. Yeah. And you at know. the time it was that or Ace of Base. So, yeah. you know, what do you want? Yeah. Somebody once told me that the 90s, the alternative rock era, um, the reason why it was depressing is because it was sort of like this what came out of kind of the death of the 80s. Right. It was such like a, a heightened time where mm -hmm. there's lots of partying, a lot of self-expression going on. And then there was a period of time where that ended. And that 90s alternative um, rock era was sort of like our humanity coming to terms with the fact that those times- The party's over. The party's over. We have to that become That post-party depression. Yeah. Everybody knows what that is when you have a little bit too much fun on the weekend and Sunday rolls around <laughs> and you're depressed and you're That's like, true. what am I doing with my life? Mm. I have to go to work in the morning mm. and I feel terrible. Yeah. yeah. PPD. It's a real thing. Yeah. It's like, it's like uh, getting older and, and realizing that there are a lot of things that um, fall into our consciousness that we really have to pay attention to. It's yeah. almost like our, our awareness and our development coincides with a lot of the things that influence us in pop culture, but even in music. I appreciate mm -hmm. beautiful music now mm -hmm. and appreciate music with meaning and intention. Right. And I think that signifies... No matter um, what the genre, right? No like, matter what the genre, right? And not even music that necessarily has uh, words anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that signifies maybe uh, falling in love more with the natural flow of frequency, more so than the story that people have mm -hmm. um, in songs. Because to me, it, when you listen to a song, and this doesn't happen for everybody, and I love songs that actually have words, but... A lot of people identify or over-identify with the stories that other people have in the songs that they listen to. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that um, appreciates more uh, a song that just has music because now I'm reflecting more on my own journey and my yeah. own story than somebody else's story. Oh, that's a, that's a nice way to put it. I find that yeah. country music, and I'm a, I'm a lover of country music too. I'm from Texas. Yeah. How could I not be? Um, but... <laughs> That is a common theme in th country music to have a story. Like mm -hmm. all of the songs tell some type of story, especially yeah. in like older country. Like I say older country, not really older, but in yeah. 90s, 2000s country, every mm -hmm. song was a story. Yeah. So it's not so much like that anymore. Mm -hmm. That's getting, starting to be a little bit more poppy, but. Yeah. The one thing that I do respect about country music is, um, and I didn't really listen to a whole lot of it growing up, but uh, a lot of the people obviously that listen to country music are like really devout country listeners. And mm -hmm. they always tell me that it, it represents like a certain life, a certain lifestyle that isn't um, a super, and I wouldn't say a superficial one, but they go through the motions of like real heartbreak and mm -hmm. real aspects of life that people go through. And that's one thing that I can really respect about it. That's an interesting thought. I've never thought about that, but maybe yeah. that is what why I'm drawn to it and why I like it. Yeah, hmm. yeah. And I mean, and country's not the only thing that I listen to, right. obviously, but right. um, yeah, wow. Because there's there's a, there's kind of, I think, two sides of how a, a writer kind of approaches music, which is you can romanticize a certain experience that mm -hmm. happened in your life and paint a really beautiful picture and it sounds poetic mm -hmm. and that's beautiful. 
But then there are the other writers that will just straight up give you the raw experience of life. And that right. means telling you about your wife leaving you or divorcing you or, or somebody cheated on somebody else. And although that is pretty direct, it's also very real and right. very raw. And mm -hmm. from what I understand, like mariachi music and country music is like that. Yeah. You oh, know? yeah. Mariachi music, for yeah. sure. And I, and I, <laughs> Love and songs. and Yeah. And I, I never got into that. Um, but they hear it in a way that uh, maybe I can't, but mm -hmm. ob obviously other people can't. And unless you really, really start paying attention to the words, there's some really, really interesting experiences and um, a lot of uh, just real intimate moments that people share in their lives through music like that. Yeah. You know, and that brings us kind of to, I think, the topic that we wanted to touch on today, Jen, which is um, the theme of awareness. And awareness is so broad. Whenever you sent yeah. me this and you're like, let's talk about awareness. I'm like, oh, spiritual awareness, self-awareness. But yeah. what kind of awareness are we talking about? Yeah. So that's the thing. And I think that's the reason why I think it would be a good discussion to talk about because it means so many different things to so many different people. Mm -hmm. And um, I think especially if we're talking about in the context of spirituality, Eastern and Western, the, the idea of awareness always comes up. Mm -hmm. And it's something that, you automatically fall into once you start your journey down that path of enlightenment, right? And it's a beautiful journey, even getting to the place of ultimate understanding with awareness, because we tend to go through all the wrong doors first before we get there, right? right. Because, so what awareness to me, just uh, very simply put, there the awareness that people are often familiar with is the awareness that people experience in meditation. Yeah. You know, it's like you're sitting in your lotus position, you got your eyes closed and there's an instructor, I don't know, someone at Unplugged Meditation in LA, someone at a Kundalini yoga studio. If you've been in a yoga studio or you just have your own practice, awareness is something that you integrate with during that piece. Mm -hmm. And so automatically you use it almost in collaboration with meditation. Well, what is awareness? Awareness is something that they tell you that you need to be in in order to successfully fall into the natural state of meditation, right? And it's, mm -hmm. it's easy, it, and it, that's just easy to understand, right? So from my experience, when you go into awareness and a lot of people's journey towards it either happens through their spiritual practice, which is yoga, meditation, plant medicine, the awareness happens when you start to notice that something other than your thought is moving inside of your body right? Something other than, you know, the concepts and ideas that you have of life is, is moving inside of your, your consciousness. And then they say, well, that's awareness, mm -hmm. right? So at least from my experience, once you touch on awareness, there's a, an initial excitement that comes because you feel like you've touched something sacred. And so it's the ego's sort of you know, natural process to want to know what it is. So it starts asking questions. Okay. It says, well, what is this? What is awareness? So you start sort of like on this endless search in order to find what this quality is so that you can differentiate the awareness from the person or the ego that sort of witnesses that awareness. So automatically that's what the ego does. It comes into the field and it starts saying, okay, I'm going to try and play who's boss here and I'm going to try and define what this is and that wanting and that need to define is what takes you out of that place okay you know so what happens when a person is 
not spiritually aware. Maybe say they're spiritually asleep. Mm-hmm. What does yeah. that look like? So I think when, when somebody says that they're asleep, it means that the, the physiological functions of their body, which includes the ego, is moderating a lot of their actions. Mm-hmm. And so when that the body is moderating the actions, um, you fall into a lot of very mechanical type of behavior. And actually there's a, a talk that I watched by Osho a little while ago, which was really interesting. He made a differentiation between efficiency, right? And m- mechanical sort of thinking. Mm-hmm. So in our society, we're, we're, we're surrounded so much by technology. And we see that more often than not as a good thing because it creates this sense of efficiency Right, but the in, the interesting thing about technology is it starts to take the work away from the human being. It starts to take the grace away from human beings. And as long as something is doing all of the work and being overtly efficient, we never have to really think about what we're doing, and we never have to think for ourselves. Yeah, you know. I mean, we kind of talked about this last night. I saw the what was it called? The social, the social dilemma, the social dilemma. Yeah. So I watched that last night for the first time and was totally blown away. We were texting about it last night yeah. for those of you that are on the outside here. But um, yeah, I was totally blown away. There's so many things that I learned from that. I mean, I knew, you know, in the back of your mind that everything that you're putting out in, into the data sphere is being mined. Like they're mm-hmm. using that information and selling it, you know, I think everybody is pretty aware of that, yeah. but I just wasn't aware to what extent right. and to the point where they're able to actually manipulate, mm-hmm. um, manipulate us like yeah. in every single way right. and to censor the news. I mean, the whole fake news thing that just brought a whole, when you hear Trump say, oh, it's fake news, it's fake news. I just assume and this was wrong to assume that he was saying that people were just saying things that about him that weren't true. Yeah. But this brought a whole new light to fake news right. that the AI algorithms, whenever you're searching or clicking on clickbait for certain things, it just starts feeding you more and more of the clickbait that you're clicking on. Yeah, so thing. you're not seeing the other side. You're only seeing one side right. because of the algorithm. Yeah. And that to me, I'm still not over it. I mean, I'm still <laughs> had a hard time today. Jen was really you know. upset when she messaged me and, and with good reason, because I saw that documentary too. Yeah. And it, it kind of pulled my strings in various different ways too. But that's a perfect example of what happens when you don't think for yourself. Yes. Right. You have all these um, sources of technology. It, it, it doesn't even have to just be social media. It can just be a, a device that does something with such precision that you don't need to do to to think a whole lot about it right and i think that's uh where i think awareness comes into practice because awareness is being fully aware and conscious of what it is that you are subjecting yourself to all the time right and um osho says that like meditation should be like breathing right it should be a quality in you the part in the very beginning that Mm -hmm. i i missed about awareness is that you think it's like a quality that you can turn off and turn on. What most people don't realize is that the spirit is always in awareness. Only we take ourselves out of it by choosing to be ignorant or choosing to be asleep. So speaking to what you're talking about being asleep, Mm -hmm. it is allowing the body and the mind, the neurochemicals, um, all of those sensory functions in your, your body to dictate 
how you move, mm-hmm. like through life. Okay. Right. And that's very limited because we can become addicted and to neurochemicals. We can become addicted to oxytocin. We can become addicted to dopamine. Just like when someone likes you, you know, likes a photo that you have on Instagram, mm-hmm. somebody likes that, we can become overly identified with that feeling that we get from getting a new message or a like. Oh. And all of a sudden you have AI moderating your feelings for you. Yeah. You know? Oh my gosh. I just can't get over that. I yeah. mean, it's it's one thing to you know, target the things that I like. And, mm-hmm. you know, I like this black pair of boots. Now you're going to send me a bunch of different kinds yeah. of black boots. Yeah. I, that's one thing, but whenever it's altering your emotions right. and the way that you think and, mm-hmm. and scripting your news mm-hmm. where you're not even able to see like the other side of what's happening. Right. It's, it's just, it's crazy to me. I, I'm still really struggling with that, but yeah. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast. So back to, back to being spiritually awake. So <laughs> if someone is, is let's go back to, to awareness and what does that person who's spiritually awake, what do they look like? What are some of their habits? What are, what is, so what we, is that? We think of uh, awareness and this is the interesting thing because it's so simple that you would think that people would understand Mm -hmm. the practicality of awareness. But the thing is, I think the ego and kind of how society influences us makes it the process of awareness or the quality of awareness a lot more difficult than it needs to be. So it's the fact that people can't, uh, they can't accept how simple and subtle awareness is, right? Because awareness, you can think of it as the ground of being. It comes before anything. In Hinduism, they call it Satchit Ananda. It's like a tongue twister. If you say it like five times fast, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and that is basically when you were born, mm-hmm. there's the sense of I before anybody gives you a name. Mm-hmm. There's this quality of an, an understanding that you exist in mm-hmm. this world, right? And that is just pure consciousness, pure awareness. It's not, it's not tethered to any sort of concept or idea slowly mm-hmm. over time as your parents start to raise you and society starts to influence you for through things like technology more mm-hmm. so now than it was before you start to lose that sense of I because it's replaced by the I am Eric. Mm-hmm. I am Jen, mm-hmm. whatever name that people affiliate you with. And as you grow up, everybody around you influences how you see yourself. And over time, you start to identify how people see you as being who you are. So you start Mm -hmm. to collect all of these memories, all of these thoughts into this data sphere inside of your mind that gives you this feeling that I am Eric. But when you're conditioned in that for so long, you start to lose the beginningness, the what came before the name which is the I. So people are like, okay, well, in meditation, well, what is that? Because a lot of people are trying to get to that place, right? They're yeah. trying to get to that place of before all of that. Yeah. I just got lost in the sauce on that. I got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> in, in my mind, uh, and I'm just a much more simple thinker than you are. Um, so in my mind, I think of somebody who's spiritually aware as somebody that is rising above feelings of greed and jealousy and hatred and resentfulness and negativity and all of that. Is yeah. that pretty much what you were saying? It is. I think it's just it, explaining it a different way. It, it wouldn't be 
from my perspective, look at it as a rising above, it would be a subtracting of those things. Okay. Right. The subtracting makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like that, that sort of story that. Cause I you can I, never really rise above that stuff. I mean, it's still going to be in your field. Right. right. Um, and it's just how much of it is going to be in your field. Right. Cause when you say rise above, there has to be something to rise above too. Yeah. Right. And so I think the, the spiritual journey, as far as my perspective, is all those things you're trying to rise above don't actually exist just as mm -hmm. a thought. So I think in enlightenment, it's really about subtracting all of those things that you think are burdening you, mm -hmm. but it's only really the ego that is convincing you that there's a problem. But okay. There isn't a problem. That makes sense. You know, so that makes sense. it's more of like a subtraction. It's like that story I shared of the Buddha when people asked him what he gained from meditation the gained being, what is he overcoming? Right. What he said is, I didn't gain anything. You're not taking on more stuff. You're actually unloading the truck. Like you are, he said, I didn't gain anything. I can tell you what I lost though. I lost all of my anxieties. I lost all of my troubles. And, you know, there's this story that I remember of uh, a Buddhist monk that was trying to get across a river. Mm -hmm. And when he was trying to cross the river, he saw a raft and he used the raft and he took the raft across the river in order to get to the other side, mm -hmm. right? And instead of leaving the raft at the shore, he took the raft with him, carried it on his back, even though he didn't need it anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think that is the best way to really look at, I think, presence and awareness, which is we hold things a lot longer than we should. Mm -hmm. And while we hold them, we start storing these things, they become so heavy. We carry them with us now with not even realizing we don't need it anymore. Right. So the use of the raft was effective once we needed to get over a certain situation and the most appropriate way um, once you've crossed that is to let go of things you don't need anymore. And I think that awareness is a, a perfect example of that because, you know, it's all about not necessarily replacing one practice with another. It's about what Alan Watts calls enlightenment, which is the reevaluation of common sense. <laughs> You're right. Because you, because, because you would think that a lot of people can think log logically and rationally, but mm -hmm. they don't realize that the logic and the rationality is the reason why they miss it. Yeah. Right. So it's about, um, just a shift in perception, mm -hmm. which is realizing that you're not bound, that you are free and all of the ideas that we are bound and all of the troubles that we have are self-perpetuated. Mm -hmm. And they don't need to be. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. It's the, that um, Cherokee proverb. Do you know the one about the wolf? Oh, what is that one? Okay. So it's, um, it's a grandfather and his, and his grandson and mm -hmm. this Cherokee master, whatever, what are they called? A chief? I don't know. Like whatever his grand, yeah. yeah. So he's trying to explain to his grand, grandson that there is a battle of two wolves inside of us. So mm -hmm. one is evil, it's angry, it's jealous, it's greedy, it's resentful, it lies and it has a big ego. Yeah. And the other is good. So mm -hmm. it's joy, it's peace, it's love, it's happiness, it's hope, it's kindness, it's empathy and truth. So the boy asked his grandfather, um, well, which wolf wins? And the grandfather says, the one that you feed. Oh, I love that. Oh, I know, right? Oh, that Just is some wisdom. Wisdom. I yeah, love that. The one that you feed. So I totally forgot about this. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about the ancestry DNA uh, mm. on another podcast. But um, my entire family, we were supposedly 
Cherokee Indians, right? Yeah. And everybody thinks they're a Cherokee Indian, but my family was very, very serious about it. I yeah. mean, my aunt has her whole house like decorated with Indian stuff, you yeah. know, the dream catchers and the feathers and the Indian yeah, plates and pipes. all the things, the peace pipes. She wears moccasins. She has long black hair. She Got keeps braided pretty much, yeah. you know, and, uh, and everybody in our family was really proud of this like Cherokee heritage. Yeah. So, um, I did this ancestry DNA and found out that we are 0% Indian, oh, really? like 0%. Yeah. And she and, doesn't know. Well, <laughs> I, <laughs> I traced our lineage back and I took my dad's DNA and did this whole thing. And I was going to make this book, um, for Christmas for all of my aunts. My dad has six sisters, um, for all of them, um, about our, you know, family history and where our Indian lineage came from. Um, and then I found out we weren't Indian at all. So, Whoa. well, yeah. What uh, were you then? Um, oh, there's all A kinds of, of were mutts pretty much. Yeah. So, some Viking blood in there. Uh, so no, actually no Viking. Um, oh. Mostly German, mostly German, and um, and uh, a little African American, mm. um, which is where the Indian thing yeah. came from, mm -hmm. likely. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, but I heard this proverb as a child, right? Oh. Because, like I said, you know, very into this Indian culture, right. and I forgot it. Yeah. And this past weekend, I was with my. Uh, with a, with a couple of girlfriends and we went to Pioneer Town and just stayed the night in Pioneer Town and went and checked out, you know, like the old movie set. And we oh. went to a sound bath at the Integraton. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And I was in the bathroom and they had that proverb framed and it was on the wall. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't heard this in forever. So uh -huh. this was just like the perfect time to bring it up because it made me think about that because I saw it this weekend. Anyway. Yeah. And that's yeah. an interesting story. I think there's actually a podcast called the one that you feed or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you have this really cool picture of like a black wolf and then a white wolf. And you're absolutely right. It's like you make the conscious decision to give mm -hmm. and, 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 and nourishment to one of two sides that exists inside of us. You're the creator of your destiny. You know, right? you're yeah. the, the creator of your destiny and you have a choice and mm -hmm. that kind of, that understanding is so powerful because it realized that like you were in the driver's seat at all times. Mm -hmm. you know, and you you don't want to give your power away to things that will hurt you and things that will, you know, really, really impact your spirit. You want to give that nourishment and that life to the things that make you feel good. Right. And that's, that's an easier said than done thing because we're, I think we're in a world that doesn't always cater to the goodness inside of you. No. And we live in a world that, you know, it seems that to be a scarcity and, you know, all of the, the wolves that, you know, are the good ones. You have to dig deep. I mean, you really yeah. have to dig deep these days, especially during COVID. Like yeah. it's been really, really hard. There's so many people suffering from depression and things are just, I feel mm -hmm. like just getting worse and worse and compounding and the anxieties, everything is out of 10. Yeah. And before it was at like a three and now right. everything is out of 10. Yeah, absolutely out of 10. What was that that you were telling me about from the social dilemma? You, you gave like a statistic on the number of kids or that have depression or something like that. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, so I, I don't remember the statistic exactly now. I wrote it to you last night, but that's already left my mind. Um, but it was uh, teens and preteens and preteens are, you know, under the age of 13. Right. Mm -hmm. And the rates of suicide went from like almost nothing to like increased 180% in preteens. That's crazy. That is insane to me. Yeah. Um, but I see it mm -hmm. and I see that happening because 
they're on their phones 24 seven. And when you're that age, all you want to do is be grown. You just want to be older. You want to be hotter. You want to be to attract boys and whatever. And, and just the feedback that you're getting online is really, is really negative. And that's a hard time to be alive anyway. I mean, junior high school was like the worst time of my whole life. Really? Thank I, God I never have to do that again. <laughs> and I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's the reason why um, a lot of, uh, as far as like a natural push of evolution, a lot of children are bypassing the, they're, they're falling into puberty a lot faster yes. than they were before. Yes. Right. And they're also bypassing a lot of the things that me and you would consider innocence, right? yeah. which is the cartoons. And I mean, that's not a requirement, but you can see how quickly these adolescents are moving from you know, being a child to being a full-blown adult just in the Mm -hmm. way that they dress and the things that they are subject to. And I think the informational age of technology that we're in gives them access to a lot of things that mean you didn't have growing up, which are very adult themes. And yeah, and our parents really shielded us from that too. Right. You know, I mean, you want to preserve the innocence and keep the young young. Right. And it's hard to say. You have plenty of time to be an adult. That's true. It's hard to say what's what's good or bad because I can see the pluses and the minuses of of both of those things. But I remember one thing I remember from the documentary was that uh, that camera sort of shot of the girl that had a picture of herself and she posted it and you know, people were telling her that she looked ugly or they were making fun of very specific aspects of her face. Mm -hmm. So what she did instead was she took that same picture and she photoshopped the shit out of that photo. Right. And made it to where she didn't even look the same. Right. And then obviously I think that changes the perspective of how other people see her, but at the same time it changes the perspective of how she sees herself. Yeah. Now all of a sudden she's identifying with this avatar of herself that doesn't even exist. And that there was another thing in this documentary that totally blew, blew me away is that people were bringing in pictures of Snapchat filters of what they look like in their filters to their plastic surgeon and saying, I want to look like I look in this filter. Wow. Are you fucking kidding me? That's insane. That's a cartoon. Yeah. Like that's not real life. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. I just, yeah. So part of, I think what, what Alan Watts was saying is just the re enlightenment being as simple as just a reevaluation of how you think, because most people aren't thinking. Mm-hmm. Because if you were thinking, which is operating from awareness, awareness, perceiving the way that the ego works, largely superficially, mm-hmm. then it will catch itself in these type of crazy situations. And it makes me think of, I was thinking about this today about animals. You can think of Sancho, I could think of Binks, right? And we <laughs> yeah. learn a lot from these animals. And there's a reason why we have them in our lives. Um, whether or not we know it or not, they add a certain quality into our lives that it tends to remind us of something that we tend to forget, which is that animals, they're not sentient in the way that we are, Mm -hmm. right? They, uh, you know, depending on what type of animal it is, we can call it um, operating from instinct, Mm -hmm. but nonetheless, they operate with a sense of presence and grace and they do what they do effortlessly without having to think too much about it. Right. Right. And when I look at my cat Binks, it's a constant reminder of what, you know, grace and, being present really looks like because she's not thinking about all the things that I think about. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that we should be more, you know, autonomous or, uh, you know, like animals, but they can teach us a lot, especially Mm -hmm. because we have the ability to understand their behavior because we have sentience, Mm -hmm. right? It can teach us a lot about a certain quality that we have inside that is also a part of nature, that is also a part of God, which is the art 
and practice of grace and awareness. Yeah. And so in the Tao, they call awareness as being, I think we, we talked about it um, when we were talking about you smelling the toast, which is, you know, being in the flow state. Mm-hmm. The flow state being run, operating from the ultimate state of awareness, which is not thinking too much about what it is that you're doing, mm-hmm. but just being present because you know inside that you do know what you're doing. Right. You know, and, and how to integrate with that so that we aren't becoming mechanical, that we are becoming more fluid in our behavior. So what are some of the ways that somebody can increase their spiritual awareness outside of meditation? What else? So I think that there's three aspects, right? You have the body, you have the mind, and you have the heart. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I think we fall into a lot of chaos is because all three of these things are doing completely different things, right? That's like really the, interesting that you say that because that is the premise of Joe Dispenza's book, right? Mm-hmm. That book that I just read, The Becoming Supernatural. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, he talks about heart coherence and mm-hmm. how you have to get your emotions, your mind, and your heart on the same rhythm. Exactly. You know, and um, there's meditations that he does uh, that are called heart co- heart coherence uh, meditations that help you know, yeah. help align everything. But there was something else that, and I've, we didn't talk about this off air, but I, I did want to bring this up is uh, in this book, there is this Australian couple and they have a company called Mind Movie. Have you ever heard of Mind no, Movie? What is that? This is so cool. Mm-hmm. So um, you attach your favorite song, a song that you would never get tired of, mm-hmm. and then photos of yourself or things that you want to strive for, kind of like a vision board type yeah. situation. And um, and then you can add text to it as well. Uh-huh. So um, they recommend that you watch your own mind movie every single day. And that helps put your um, your like level of manis- manifestation from a one to a 10 because yeah. everything is in coherence. You're, it's connected to emotion that's connected okay. to your mind that's connected to your heart. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, I thought that that was really cool. So I actually did a mind movie because, oh, you did? because of that book. Yeah. Oh. I was like, Oh, I'm going to do a mind movie. This is cool. What you got on your mind movie. So, and I've been watching it every day. Ooh, there's a lot of things. <laughs> there's a lot of things in the mind movie. I'm sure it always changes. So, and the podcast is in the mind movie. Oh yeah. So yeah, well, that's good. Podcast is in the mind movie. And then of oh. course, like my marriage was number one, you right. know, right. um, the first, the first uh, picture that came up on my mind movie, but mm. it's pretty cool. It's yeah. pretty cool because like we were talking about earlier, music is so nostalgic and it takes you to a certain place, yeah. right? And elicits yeah. a certain type of emotion. Mm. And um, now I chose Loon for my oh, song. Damn. I did. Oh, that's such a good song to I know, choose. it's so good. So yeah. yeah. And that was going to be one of your birthday presents, but... I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe he already has this. So I didn't, I got you other shit, but. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. But that's, that's, it's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right? It's exactly the and same I'm thing. I'm glad that you mentioned that for the listeners, because I think that would be a really great practice because that ultimately the goal, well, not the goal, but the outcome of that is being more coherent. Like you mm-hmm. say, being more integrated, because when I was explaining the uh, body, mind and heart, the reason why we fall into the chaos is because you have, your body subject to all these different type of addictions, all these different things that it wants all the time mm-hmm. while your heart wants peace. Mm-hmm. It wants love, right? And then your mind is also feeding into a lot of other sort of like, um, 
you know, really complicated sort of its own sort of algorithms, right? Mm -hmm. So you have all this static going on and there's no coherence, there's no balance. So I think a part of meditation, what it's essentially trying to do is it's trying to find balance between all of those. And once you find balance between the mind, body and heart, then you can be fully present to everything mm -hmm. in front of you without falling into things like addiction to social media or things like porn or things like, you know, all the things like drugs or illicit things, like things that most people fall victim to by being asleep. You know, I am going to share a personal story from someone, but not going to say their name. But um, I knew a guy that started to meditate and it was his New Year's resolution to meditate every single day. Mm -hmm. And um, and he did, he stuck to it. He was meditating every single day. Mm -hmm. And I asked him how it was going. I was like, how's your meditation going? Are you still meditating every day? He said, actually, yeah, I am. And you know what I noticed? I said, what? And he was like, I masturbate less. <laughs> and I was like, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> like yeah. that wasn't at all what I was expecting to hear. Right. Um, but that whole releasing, um, I, I mean, when people are addicted and have sex addictions or drug addictions or alcohol addictions or what have you, um, or even addictions to social media or their partner or whatever, um, meditation does do something pretty magical to help kind of break down those addictions where you feel less inclined and less interested in those negative behavior patterns. Right. And I don't know, I don't know what or why or how that happens, but I thought that was really interesting and it made me laugh because <laughs> yeah, that, I think that there's a lot of people that really struggle with that. And that's true. And the one thing that comes up for me when it comes to that is a lot of those behaviors are unconscious behaviors. And yeah. a lot of those behaviors are behaviors that happen when you're asleep. So if we define asleep as being kind of asleep at the wheel of your life, your, your life of your spirit, of your mm -hmm. awareness, then you allow the stronger forces um, in that experience to overcome you, which is that over, you know, that, that, that addiction to social media, that addiction to masturbation, those are all things that are moderated by an ego that is unchecked, mm -hmm. right? Right. Because as long as you're feeding information to your ego and it experiences it as a neurochemical, like dopamine, because that's what happens when you engage mm -hmm. in something like intercourse or masturbation is that you're getting this rush, you're getting this hit almost like a drug of something, mm -hmm. right? Could be man or woman, orgasm. There isn't one person that doesn't like, that, that hasn't enjoyed that, <laughs> right? And once your body feels that, yeah, it can become, uh, it's a good thing if it's done with intention, but if you're somebody that is addicted to anything, mm -hmm. all of a sudden your body is moderating your spirit. And right. that's when the danger comes mm -hmm. because you should never want to, uh, over identify your happiness with something else outside of you. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the reason why I think addictions, and we could talk about like drugs for a second, is that the reason why addictions are um, really dangerous and hard for other people is because when you allow meditation to moderate your body and all of your neurochemicals in a balanced way, mm -hmm. then you can flow through life in a really harmonious way. But once you outsource your happiness to something outside of yourself, like drugs mm -hmm. or toxic relationships, anything that sparks those reward centers in your brain, mm -hmm. you automatically become reliant on it after a certain period of time. I think they said it only takes 30 to 60 days to develop an addiction to anything, mm -hmm. right? And then once that happens, all of a sudden your brain is identifying that drug as a part of the brain. Right. And now in order for it to 
moderate, it needs to have this because what will happen is once you start, you know, getting into say it's like meth or whatever, your brain will start down regulating the neurotransmitters that it typically gives you. And it'll say, Oh, Mark, I'm getting this somewhere else. It's never going to do more work than it needs to do. Right. So the drugs are going to do it for you. That's, That's right. why we people experience the withdrawal, right? Oh man. Yeah. It's very sad. Yeah. It's very sad. And you've experienced that, I think, being a nurse and seeing different types of people come in for that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've had a couple of family members pass away from, you know, pretty serious drug addictions. The opioid, o- opioid crisis mm-hmm. is a very real thing. And it's it's so sad. Yeah. It is so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, I There's... I have a lot to say on that topic, but yeah. we'll, you know, we'll, we'll come back to that. Cause yeah. that's, it, it's so personal, right? right. Like um, anytime you know someone that uh, has an, has an addiction problem or even somebody that is really depressed, it's so hard because there's nothing that you can do to help them. That right. person has to want to help themselves. Absolutely. And, um, and that's the worst part. And that's as a caregiver, as a friend, as a lover, as anything, as a family member, you just feel so helpless right. because they are just under this, under this different control right. and you can't reach them. Right. And that's, uh, yeah, that's tough. Yeah. And I relate to that because I, my, my father was also like a drug addict and I, mm-hmm. and I spent a large part of my childhood caring for Mm-hmm. that person. Yeah. Right. And, and maybe, yeah, there'd be definitely um, something to venture into, but what comes up for me um, when you were, when you were sharing that no matter what type of information you can give to this person, they're not going to hear it. Mm-mm. And I think that's the reason why the spiritual journey is so personal that when people go to India and they sit at the feet of a master and they ask this guru really personal questions, he in not, in not like a, you know, uh, like a, a mean way, he'll try and explain to them that it doesn't matter what he says, mm-hmm. because even if he you gave somebody the most profound wisdom of the sages, you're not going to hear it if it's not within your experience, right? Right, and that's the one thing that I that I came to an understanding really early in my practice is that once I've touched sort of like the realm of awakening in myself, there's this excitement that you want to share with somebody else. Mm-hmm. There's this need that you feel to want to help other people. And you can do that, mm-hmm. but you do that by exuberating and being an example of what that means, but not by trying to instill that sort of idea into somebody else, because you'll notice that and somebody once told me the great thing about advice is that everybody gives it, but nobody takes it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, we could, I, I, and I've done this before where I've given, you know, what I would consider to be really good advice or mm-hmm. wisdom to somebody in the realm of relationships or spirituality. And some people are within the realm of awareness to accept it. And that's great. But then there are some people that it doesn't matter how profound the message is. If they haven't done the work in order to understand it, it's not going to, it's not going to stick. Yeah. And if they're not ready to hear it, I mean, we talked about, we talked about this exact same thing with you and I, right? And yeah. I was giving you advice about a relationship and and you just weren't hearing right. the words that were coming out of my mouth. And at some point you just have to stop. And as a friend, you have to step back and realize that that's that other person's journey and only they will know when they've had enough. Right. And you cannot tell someone that. Yeah, I can't tell you when you've had enough. That's true. Only you know. That's so. true. 
Yeah. And, and we can beat ourselves over the head a million times. Yeah. And that is, you know, and that's just a part of my work too. You know, Jen is one of my best friends and I share a lot of, you know, um, my feelings and emotions with her. And, you know, as much as I have my practice and as much as I, I move through that, there are still aspects of me that I would consider shadow that I need to work through. You know, you know? everybody has that. No yeah. one, no one is perfect. And if you're right. listening to the show, please know that we are not perfect. We don't have yeah. perfect families. We didn't come from, you know, the, the mom and dad married forever, super happy. From like the lotus, that's, lotus blossoming from the lake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> that's not real life, you yeah. know? Yeah. So it, make, uh, it makes me think of like Carl Jung, right? Cause Carl Jung, he's, he was a psychologist and he kind of worked, um, sort of like in balance with Sigmund Freud, who had a, a very, I would consider an antiquated way of looking at psychology, but Carl Jung believed in archetypes. He believed yeah. in the, a collective consciousness, right? We are all influenced by our environment. And the one archetype that Carl Jung has is the wounded warrior, mm-hmm. right? And I identify with that so much because there are two doors that people enter into when it comes to spirituality. They can come through some profound experience of awakening through plant mm-hmm. medicine or meditation, or they can come from the depths of the shadows yeah. through really traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for me, being completely open and vulnerable, I've gone through some shit, yeah, you know, right. some really, really deep shadow work um, in my life um, from other people, but also just from making lots of mistakes. Yeah. You know, in the realm of relationships and the realm of how I've treated other people and how other people have treated me. Right. You know, and moving through that has been my practice and overcoming that and trying to find balance as a Libra, especially (laughs) has been, I think that's my, my life's work. Yeah. You know, you know, and, and so many people have their mask that they put on, right? Like their persona or their, I kind of equate it to hats. Like I have my work hat. I have mm-hmm. my wife hat, yeah. I have my friend hat, <laughs> I have my podcast hat, you know, hats. got all these hats, right? But um, there's a Jungian theory about that too, uh, about um, the mask that people wear to fit like a certain social matrix. Right. So you want other people to perceive you as this thing, mm-hmm. but that persona is developed by the ego. That's not really who you are. Right. It's just who you think people want to see. Right. Yeah. In that's, it's really cool that you said that. And I think we talked about this, I think through text a little while back and I was uh, reading up about what persona actually means. Mm-hmm. That word they used to use back in Shakespearean times when it came to people playing roles on stage. Yeah. Right. A persona uh, is essentially a mask. <laughs> yeah. right? It's a mask that we wear on top of who we really are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the perfect way for me to describe the difference between awareness and mm-hmm. ego. Mm-hmm. Because awareness is just unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the, the personality is something that is built by not even just yourself, but by your environment of how others perceive you, how people think of you. And mm-hmm. we build that. Yeah. You know? I think a, a really great example of that and something we can both relate to is being a teenager and being a goth kid. Oh my right? God. <laughs> <laughs> and only wearing black and hanging yeah. out with other goth kids and the jocks are stupid and yeah, that's right. the chads yeah, yeah all the chads yeah, watch out for yeah. that chad yeah and um and all that was was just a an exceptional example of an underdeveloped ego that's true so just yeah. 
walking around with our goth mask on. Yeah. Which also look like a mask that heavy black eyeliner and it's true, that old Victorian <laughs> style mask. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately pale and shit. Like all pale and shit exactly. You got that like ivory I used to wear the ivory powder powder you know I, mean? oh, yeah. I did a pretty good job at making myself look like i wasn't alive <laughs> you know what i mean but it's interesting that you mentioned the goth thing because archetypes just the same as carl jung has his wounded warrior there are archetypal sort of like avatars that i think even kids fall into which mm -hmm. i think back in the 90s we considered them stereotypes oh yeah and you think it's just as simple as being like well he he's he's a jock because he likes sports but each one of these archetypes represent a certain quality of being yeah. Right. And when I was a goth kid, that represented uh, a really large introspection and also this feeling of how to deal with the sadness and pain that I was experiencing from my environment. Right. And that was my way of coping with that. Yeah. You know, and the one thing that I, I noticed about goth uh, was that it was, there were parts of it that were really beautiful, but there were also very sort of like self-loathing parts of it that made it to where you can never move forward as long as you're stuck here. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you listen to that music? Like, um, there was a part of it that was very romantic, but it was overtly romantic. You don't want to overly romanticize depression. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, a, that's exactly what it was, romanticizing depression. Yeah. Is that um, what it was like for you when you yeah, were a goth kid? No, 100%. Yeah. And I had many phases. I mean, yeah. I was a goth kid. And then that kind of, as I got older, transitioned into more like the ska punk rock scene. Oh, yeah. I and to that yeah. Too. And was kind of like the same people, right? Mm, and we right, just, right. as we started to grow <laughs> up, true. our interests changed. That's true. Um, yeah. So it's crazy. I've been in, it, 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 I actually, there are people that um, I wouldn't say I'm the closest friends to, but they were a part of my life back during those goth phases in life. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because they went from one side of the spectrum of being in that sort of goth subculture to now they're like Reiki healers. Now they're energy workers. Now mm -hmm. like they're on the, the other side of the shadows, kind of fully embracing the light. Right. And that's what I, I feel like I mean when it comes to, you know, the various doors that we take in order to arrive to that place of peace and awareness is you go to a really extreme place when you go into the shadows and there's like a certain point where I think spirit wakes you up. It could be through a traumatic experience. It could be just getting tired of overtly romanticizing or identifying with a certain type of feeling. And then your spirit's just like, boom, wakes you up. And all of a sudden you're moving in this other new direction that right. is completely different. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I was just thinking about my my goth friends, <laughs> and this is funny, but mm -hmm. we are all nurses. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know why that thought just occurred to me, but the, we didn't go into essentially, um, you know, we're from Texas. It wasn't, uh, it's not really talked about like new age spirituality isn't really a thing yeah. in the South. I mean, it is probably now, mm -hmm. but um, you know, when I was young, it certainly wasn't. That was mm -hmm. like witchcraft. That was like voodoo, right, you know, exactly. you weren't fucking, nobody was talking about that. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. We, we went on a healing journey, mm -hmm. um, but in the physical sense as being healers for Western medicine. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's interesting. Interesting segue. And then here I am. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. So when, when you started moving like from, you know, your goth phases into like ska and things like that, I, I mm -hmm. actually moved in the same direction. Yeah. 
I think everybody does. I think that that's like their progression. Yeah, it's like the progression. And it makes me think, I mean, all those songs represented a certain type of feeling. Mm -hmm. And and gospel is a very serious thing. And and me moving more into more softer, more beautiful music, I think represented kind of where I was going, which was finally starting to take responsibility over my life. Yeah. And take responsibility over the thoughts that I think and the type of content that I subject myself to on a regular basis. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and it takes a a lot of strength, I think, for people to go into. But the thing is, is you never really lose it. I think once you get into spirituality or new age spirituality, there's this feeling of you that like wants to somehow pretend that those darker aspects don't exist. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is like you have to accept them because they made you who you are. Right. You know, they they're they're sort of they're part of that Maslow's hierarchy of basic needs. Mm -hmm. Like they 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 very they contributed to your awakening just as much as all the people that made you feel good or all of the practices that enlightened you did. Right. Yeah. You know? And even the the bad experiences that I had, like I can recall a, a terrible experience that I had with religion. Mm-hmm. And um I was not raised by a wealthy family, but we lived in a very affluent area, but I lived on like the poor side of town. So um, I didn't have the best clothes. I wasn't, didn't play city sports and do all that stuff because my parents couldn't afford that. Mm -hmm. So um, I went to a, um, it was like a sleepover, somebody's birthday party. And it was, like connected with the church. So Mm -hmm. then we did like some kind of like church activity. And um, the mother um, of the girl that we were staying the night at her house, um, some money was stolen out of her purse and they blamed me for it. Whoa, really? Because I was the poor kid that was kind of the outsider. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) And that was my like, that really stands out in my mind of what Christians look like because then that gave me a foundation of where I thought I should be safe. And I'm also not safe here, you know? So um, it's really interesting how just little things like that can totally turn you off to a whole subset of, of people, you know, Um, as a, as a really young person, I think I wasn't older than like eight years old. Mm. So, yeah, there's yeah. this story that um, I read a long time ago of of God and a homeless person, mm-hmm. and it was so profound to me when I when somebody told me it because it made so much sense. Which is one day God is walking down a street, and he walks in front of this church, and he sees a homeless guy crying outside on the steps. And so God walks up to this homeless guy and he says, "Hey, hey, well, why are you crying?" And he's like, "They won't let me into the church." because of how I look. And he's like, it's okay, don't cry. They won't let me into the church either. Oh, right? ooh, that gave me so chills. That, yeah. that is like a perfect example of kind of my experience with spirituality because I was also, um, I wasn't a, a sort of like a fundamentalist sort of conventional Christian. My family grew up more as Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's an entirely it's different like more subset of, a cult. of different yeah. things, right? Yeah. And and there were a lot of limiting things. I like couldn't have birthdays, couldn't celebrate Christmas and things like that, which now in retrospect, when I think about it, it was a blessing in disguise because I don't identify, overly identify, not that people do, but they don't really mean a whole lot to me. Yeah. Right. I can appreciate them. I can respect them when they happen, but 
you know, you don't know what it's like unless you've experienced something like that. And I've never had this sort of over attachment to things like that. You're not so having a birthday kinda, month is what you're saying. Oh, no, no I'm definitely having a birthday month, but <laughs> it, it, I think it, it made it much easier for me growing up Yeah, because I didn't, I, I can worry about other things. I didn't have to think about, you know, all the things that I wanted for my birthday or, or things like that. Yeah. Or I Christmas was, or yeah, I was too yeah. busy thinking of like, why the fuck is this happening? <laughs> so those questions about like spirituality, like the ones that you're talking about come into my field mm-hmm. and started getting the gears rolling into asking the questions that you're talking about, right? Which is, there's obviously a disconnect here, mm-hmm. right? There's a disconnect. And, and as you're a goth kid, just like, just like you were, I experienced a lot of crazy shit too, because automatically, if they don't understand what it is that you represent, you become this figurehead for everything that's negative. Mm-hmm. And right. I'd be in school and I'd be, you know, sort of defined as this sort of black cloud over everybody. Right. But- the interesting thing about when my mother would talk to, you know, people like the teachers, they would say like, he's like the nicest person. Yeah. But you guys see him as this crazy monster. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, did you go through that? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I wasn't as nice as, uh, I wasn't very nice. I was kind of, kind of an asshole to be honest. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I just had a lot of like a lot of angst and a lot of anger, mm-hmm. um, as a young person. So yeah. Yeah, it, but I've gotten that all out. I'm much less of an asshole as an adult, thank God. Yeah, and I, I think that that is like a natural process too. The one thing that was really enlightening for me is once I started reading about Eastern spirituality, but also Jesus's real position in Christianity, once you pick up something like the Gnostic Gospels, mm-hmm. right? They have like the, the Gospel of like Matthew and Mary Magdalene of like Judas, paints a completely different picture of how we see just regular fundamental Christianity and Jesus ends up being more like a human being Mm -hmm. in the sense that he goes through happiness and sadness. But the most profound thing about Jesus's um, role is that he talked about in the Gnostic gospels about not needing a sort of conventional type of religion in the, in the way that like people do when it goes to church, Mm -hmm. right? He talked about, you know, the temple and the kingdom of God is inside of you And all you have to do is just sit with yourself in meditation in order to access it. Mm -hmm. That paints a very, very different picture for the Roman Catholics and the people that existed during, you know, the reign of Emperor Constantine, which is, this is an institution, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think that, I think, I think now the era that we're in now, that sort of, you know, age of Aquarius and enlightening is that people, I think people are starting to pick up on that shit. Oh, for sure. And, and babies like young people that your, your story about the homeless man and, and Jesus made me think of a story with my niece. So we took her to Joel Olstein's church, which is a TV and TV church, right in Houston. And it's a beautiful church and I'm not knocking this church. I mean, I've been there plenty of times and, and there is a spirit in the room and you know, it, you do feel good when you leave there. Like I, I will say that, but I thought it was really interesting. She was only like three years old and she was like, Aunt Jen, is that God? And she pointed out a banner mm-hmm. that was hanging from the ceiling that was gigantic of Joel Olstein. <laughs> yeah. And I said, no, honey, that's Joel Olstein. That's the preacher. And she was like, okay. And then like five minutes later, she points out another picture. Is that God? 
And that's another picture of Joel Osteen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, honey, that's the preacher. That's not God. And, and she's like, well, why is this picture everywhere? I was like, hmm, hot damn. Yeah. I mean, a little, a little tiny child is like, there's no, <laughs> I don't see God anywhere. I only see this guy. Right. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I read this, uh, the, this, this quote the other day, it said, do you think God wants your money? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it, it's something that I, in, when I think of kind of the theme of what we're talking about, which is awareness, this is ego driving the ship of what should be a spiritual practice and a sacred thing. Mm-hmm. It's turned into people utilizing it as a way to either find some source of monetary income mm-hmm. or to keep people bound to a certain belief that they need this church in order to survive as a human being. Right. And the Christian church kind of burned the furnaces hotter than any other form of religion there is because they get you into this sort of theology, which is, you know, you have to always constantly be born again as a child. They want to keep you as a child. They never want you to grow up. Mm -hmm. They never want you to be responsible and accountable for your own actions because as long as you're a child and as long as you're constantly being reborn as a child, then you will have this sort of, I'm a child and this is the father figure. This is big daddy upstairs (laughs) that I have to, you know, behave. Otherwise something really bad will happen. Yeah. That is not love. Right. You know, that is that, that same God that, you know, tells you that if you're good, you'll go to heaven. But if you're bad, he'll sentence you to an eternity in hell. That is not anything that I identify as love because it's not loving behavior. Right. You know, that's something we, that we talked about too, um, with mediumship and talking about people who are, you know, in, in Christian belief, if you commit suicide, you go to hell. Right. Like that's a, do not pass go, do not collect a hundred dollars. You're going straight to hell. That's right. Um, and we talked about what hell really is mm-hmm. and it's not fire and brimstone. You're eternally burning, um, alone and miserable. You know, it's more of you're shackled to reliving those experiences and learning from them and experiencing that pain and, you know, reliving that until you really understand it and you can overcome it. Right. So it's not, I don't know, it, it's just so sad that people live with that fear their entire life and it's totally not true. Right. And that, and that, <laughs> like it's that, not real. This is a nonsensical fear. Right. And that fear is what I think largely governs the Christian church. Right? Yes. And, and that Christian, and that, that fear is, is largely moderated by an instinctual sort of push of adrenaline and, and cortisol in your body. And it causes you to not think correctly. It mm-hmm. causes you to rely on perhaps maybe something else for your salvation. It makes me think of Emmanuel Swedenborg. We talked about him before, but he has this thing called the law of correspondence, which that everything in this material plane corresponds with something in the spiritual plane. Mm-hmm. So if you want an idea of what hell feels like, you've probably already felt it. You've before, felt it. Yeah. Right. And we've been in you know, I've been in every a lot, probably lots of people have been in toxic relationships where you're spiraling in this repetitive pattern of constantly hurting yourself in something that you know is hurting you, but you do it anyways. Mm-hmm. That is what hell feels like. Yeah. It's not ever moving forward. It's not ever passing go. It's not ever collecting a hundred dollars. You are perpetually stuck in this position where your energy is not being elevated, right? So that's what hell feels like. But at some point, I feel like the spirit wakes up and it realizes that it's choosing to be here, right? Mm -hmm. And once you realize there's a choice, 
you find your way out back into heaven again. And I think mm-hmm. that's what the, the understanding of heaven is, is realizing that you are free, that you are love, that you are compassion, that you are eternal, and that nothing can damn you except for your own beliefs that you're damned, mm-hmm. you know? So if people, you know, and I think we've also experienced heaven too. Right, yeah. And I, I just want to make it clear that we are not talking shit or saying that Christianity is wrong or bad or, or that Jesus isn't real. We're definitely not saying that. That That's is right. not what we're saying. Jesus was a badass. Jesus was a badass. Definitely an ascended master. Right. Definitely believe in Jesus. Right. That's not what we're saying. So I don't want to get any emails about this later. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. In the, the, the cool thing about once you really get into the life of Jesus is he, he makes him more relatable because you realize that he's a human being just like me and you. Yeah. And he becomes a pal, you know, mm-hmm. like the fact that, you know, uh, after the resurrection, he, I mean, we can have a whole other podcast about this, but he didn't actually die. He fled off to India, sat at the feet of those masters, learned about meditation and lived and died in Kashmir, mm-hmm. you know? And that to me is, a lot more relatable and reachable story than some omnipotent sort of ephemeral character that isn't like me at all, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think you're right. I think Jesus and, you know, I read he also had a girlfriend, (laughs) Mary Magdalene. Uh Uh Uh-oh, (laughs) uh-oh. You know, and there's even stories that he had children, you know? And, and, And if you go deeper in those stories, Mary Magdalene was one of his closest disciples, but he learned a lot about his teaching through Mary Magdalene, which paints a very different picture because it makes you realize that like women, you know, Mary Magdalene was just as sacred as Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if we're comparing that to, you know, modern, you know, institutionalized Christianity, they, you know, have been oppressing women for a long time and it's not right. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're reaching an age right now where people are starting to seek the truth. I mean, what Indigenous People's Day just happened? Yeah, and it was what yesterday or the day before yesterday? Yeah, and people shitting all over Christopher Columbus with good reason. Yeah, you know. And, oh man, <laughs> and that's that, that's a crazy thing because I grew up, you know, Thanksgiving. You're celebrating what in your mind appears to be this collaboration between the settlers and the Indians, but you you get older you realize that they just it was just genocide <laughs> ransack the shit out of these people yeah you know mm-hmm. and, and just now in our generation we're starting to realize that mm-hmm. and it makes you realize also too that you know our our society is still evolving as a collective in the same way that a child evolves into an adult and i feel like we're getting close you know i saw a, a funny meme <laughs> on indigenous people's day and it said yeah, uh, school taught us the name of the boats that Christopher Columbus came on. Everybody remembers the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, but nobody knows anything about the tribes or where they were located or migrated from of the right. land that they stole, right? And it's yeah. so true, and it's very sad. Yeah, I, I saw this other meme too that says, like, throw all the Christopher Columbus statues into the water and make that dizzy bitch think he discovered the new world. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So moral of the story, I think, is just practicing awareness is just about being present and being completely um, integrated with your body, mind, and your spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think the best way to practice that is to start in a really practical way, which is 
if you're cooking food, just, you know, there's a certain grace that's involved in doing practical things. Mm-hmm. All we need to do in order to learn something, I mean, we can perfect something, but if somebody teaches me how to tie my shoe and I know how to do it, I don't have to think a million times about how I'm doing it, whether or not I'm doing it right, mm-hmm. or whether or not I'm good enough to do it. Right. You just do it. So I think it's just about being present and being conscious, actively aware of what you're doing without getting lost in your mind about the, what's going on in the future or what's going on in the past. Just being present. For sure. That's a Ryan Heapy teaching, right? Like that's yeah. the, what he does with his students. And he's talking about a cup of coffee and how you just hold it and you feel the warmth and you smell the aroma and you taste it and you taste all the different flavors in the coffee and just really be present with that coffee. Exactly. Right. With something tangible that's just really simple and enjoying the simple things in life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that, I think that's a large, that's like a big um, thing that comes up for people that choose to either be um, vegetarian, at least from my experience mm-hmm. is that people become so used to this sort of manufactured, um, you know, product of meat that they lose touch with the animal. Right? Mm-hmm. They don't go through the process of actually taking the animal's life, knowing what it feels like to take the life of an animal, giving thanks to the animal, mm-hmm. and knowing that it's giving them a certain type of nourishment. Mm-hmm. We just think of it as like it's in the store, it's packaged. We can just systematically yeah. roll through this shit as fast as we can. Mm-hmm. That That is unconscious behavior. Right. Because awareness sees not just the meat, it sees the entire life of the animal. Right. When it sees a... Uh, you know, like a a, 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 t- a wooden table. It doesn't see the wooden table. It sees the tree that the table comes from. Right. You know, like you are being completely present to the reality, not the matrix version, which is the definitions of things, but the actual journey that every single element in nature comes from. You know, you don't see just the gold ring. You see all of the elements that came from, it came from in nature, you know? Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. That makes me think of, um, and I'm going to go off on two tangents. This is oh, please. The first tangent is, you know, my parents live in BFE, fucking nowhere, Texas. <laughs> first of all, um, in Manville. If any of you have ever heard of that, look it up on a map. There's some shit out there, and they have a farm and. <laughs> or wolf farm. I say they don't have a farm. They have farm animals as pets, you know, not that they eat, that they just hang out with. Mm. And, um, I was driving the back way to their house and I passed by a farm and it was called Hamsa Farms. Mm. And I have, I'm like, Hamsa Farms, what the fuck is that? (laughs) So I Googled it, looked it up. And it's actually a place where you can buy meat where they do a ceremony for the animals before they're slaughtered. Mm -hmm. So um, they, you know, give thanks to the animal. They use every part of the animal, kind of like Native Americans did, you know, use their hide for, you know, shelter or for clothing and um, every part of the meat, you know, everything. And I thought that was super cool that stuff like that exists in rural BFE nowhere, Texas. I was shocked. You know, but, um, yeah, that shit's out there. If you're in Manville, Texas, look it up. Yeah. So, um, first thing. And then, uh, my second tangent was about, um, what did you just say? What were we just talking about? We were talking about like, um, you know, being conscious and being aware of the reality of things and not the sort of 3d matrix of things. The matrix. Yeah. Yeah. That quote from the fucking social dilemma last night. I'm still, y'all, I'm still hung up on that. (laughs) You got to watch it. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. Watch it. It's really good. Um, 
and they were talking about we may be you and I in our in our almost forties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the last generation that still sees the matrix, right? Yeah. Like the kids growing up now, yeah. they're in the matrix. They have n- they have no idea what's real and what's not. That's true because they're growing up in the matrix. Yeah, and we grew up in a time where the matrix was forming, and we were able to kind of see the difference. That's true. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. It is crazy. It's like in that interview with Joe Rogan, when he was talking about Neuralink and and Elon Musk is like, we're we're already mind blown, dude, mind blown. We're already an, an artificial intelligent symbiote. Right. And we, we don't, we're basically cyborgs. Right. We think that our phones are separate from us, but they are extensions of who we are. They are. Right. And me and you, I think that we can make a differentiation because we came from a generation that didn't have them. We didn't have it. But yeah. I've been in we rooms. We know what it's like and yeah. how to live without them. Yeah. And I've been in rooms with families that have kids and these kids are sitting with tablets and they're just absorbed completely in it. And when you take it away from them, they get super pissed. Yeah. You know? So it's like these artificially intelligent sort of these, these technologies are, and I'm not shitting on them because we use them, mm-hmm. but it's just about balance and it's about being conscious and aware of what you're doing so that you know, you know, who you are apart from these technologies. Everything in life is about balance. Everything in life is about balance. Cause I, I don't want to say that any of these, these things are bad. A lot of the polarities that exist, the polarization of earth is designed specifically so that we could accelerate a process of growth. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't always look pretty, you know, like it it doesn't always look pretty and it doesn't have to look pretty because if you think about any journey that somebody goes through, the most beautiful, most graceful sort of bouts of enlightenment come from the shittiest parts of that experience. You You can't, you can't have the rainbow without the rain. That's right. Can't have a rainbow without the rain. So just be aware, practice awareness, be alert mm-hmm. instead of, you know, when you see the, the, the sunset, don't look at the sun and say that is a sunset because you're speaking from all of your experiences of what a sunset looks like. Just look at the sun. Put your damn phone down. And look put at the put sun. your damn phone down. Don't take any photos and just be one in, in with that experience. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, be present. Be yeah. present in that shit. Yeah, be, exactly. Be present in that shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was... Well, happy birthday, my friend. Oh, thank you, Jen. Aww, thank you, Jen. Yay. Thank you, Jen. Why don't you close this out? Um, well, I wanted to ask you what your best birthday gift was that you've ever received in your lifetime, but we don't have time for that, so maybe next that time. I've ever received in my lifetime? Yeah. Oh, that, that is such a complex question because um, I didn't have birthdays growing up. I know. So the That's way that crazy. I see birthdays now is just this celebration of life and just being appreciative for the people that are in my life. Mm-hmm. So when I think of birthdays in present tense, I think of everything that I have to be grateful for. I have to be grateful for you, this Aww. podcast, everybody that's listening, my family and my friends that have always been by my side. And that to me is what matters. Not necessarily the things that I receive, but the love that I receive from those people. Oh, that's beautiful. But I can share with you, you know, something that I've gotten for my birthday. Maybe another time. Maybe another time. But yeah, that's what it is. Thank you for joining this uh, wonderful new year around the sun with me. Thank you, Jen. Yes, of course. Thank you to all that are listening. 
If you are on YouTube, like and subscribe. Stay up to date on our most recent podcast episodes. Uh, we also have the audio on Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and uh, uh, Apple Podcast. Yeah. And if you're so inclined, send us an email about what you would like us to talk about. We're happy. We love to have new topics. So send it on. Send it on. Until then, namaste, friends. Namaste. Namaste.